Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island. Make your second half of life even better than the first. With the year and season of major movie releases upon us, it's the perfect time to listen to the wide-ranging perspective of an acclaimed film critic who's been in the cinematic trenches for more than four decades, Ty Burr. Ty, who has programmed movies for Cinemax and HBO, reviewed movies and other pop culture for Entertainment Weekly, was a longtime critic, film critic, and cultural columnist for the Boston Globe, now writes a Substack newsletter called Ty Burr's Watchlist, devoted to reviews and commentary, on theatrical and streaming films, TV, and other popular culture. In today's episode, Ty, who by his own account has seen a ridiculous number of movies in his lifetime, will discuss an assortment of questions he hears from viewers. Are the old days of movie stars largely a thing of the past? Where do all the compact and mid-sized movies go? And does the standalone movie even exist anymore, or is it all sequels and reboots? Ty will also assess some of the major shifts in the film and the TV landscape and what trends he foresees in streaming services, even the prospect of DVDs coming back. Of course, he'll provide a sampling of reviews and commentary from his watch list, which every week offers a new movie recommendations, as well as curated choices from years past, a little history and an anecdote or two, something to make you laugh or ponder. So now let's meet our guest, Ty Burr. Ty, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. Delighted to be here. Yeah. Delighted to have you. Uh, so, Ty, obviously, you've been uh, in the in the movie trenches. I mentioned, you know, much earlier than forty five forward. It's been there since you were quite young. Uh, but I, but what interests me is just your career path is because you've had a number of transitions before middle mm-hmm. age, and now you continue having them, even up to the current uh, job that you're, you've taken on. So, give us just a quick sense, a little bit about your journey and. How did you get into I mean, you were interested, in, obviously, in, in film when you were in college. You majored in film. Yeah. But how, how did you? How did this passion develop? Um, I always point to a movie I saw when I was about 14. Mm. Um, and it was uh, so uh, um, my father passed away when I was quite young, when I was 10. Um, mm. And when I was uh, 14, my mother said, hey, your dad's favorite movie is on TV at midnight tonight. Wow. Watch it. And, you know, sure, you know, anything to sort of connect me with this guy, I didn't know that well. Um, and it was Duck Soup with him. Uh. <laughs> and I'd never seen anything like that in my life before. And I, I was hooked. I was hooked on old movies. So my first passion was classic film. Um, and I was growing up in Boston at a time, and this is the early 70s, when that was a great time to be interested in classic film because there were, were revival houses, revival cinemas all over the city. There were like, you know, a dozen of them um, that no longer exist anymore because the video revolution just killed them all off. But you could mm-hmm. go see a double bill of, you know, Fellini movies or Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn movies or Starin Rogers. And so that was my school. Um, and then I went to college and I, I was a film studies major. Um, which my mother was convinced I would never make any money at. And uh, <laughs> that was a nice surprise later when I actually was able to make a living at it. Um, uh, but got out of college, moved to New York, and um, got a job actually at HBO, HBO Cinemax in the research department because they decided they were getting all this. This is back when HBO um, was movies and boxing 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was it. Nothing else. No original programming. None of that stuff. And they figured they might as well get a somebody about who knew about movies to look at the Nielsen data and say, oh, here's why this movie did well. Here's why this movie didn't do well. So uh, I lucked into a job there and then moved on to programming Cinemax. So for about mm. five years, I was putting basically an in-house movie critic looking at movies that were submitted for acquisition and writing up little in-house reviews and saying, yes, we should show this. No, we shouldn't show that. Or if we do show it, show it after midnight, you know, whatever. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was a very curious job. Um, a lot of fun. Um, and, but I missed having my writing read by, you know, people outside of the walls of HBO, right. um, started freelancing and then took a leap um, quit my job at HBO and, and dedicated myself to freelance writing. Mm. Um, did that for about a year, covering the at that point covering video, home video was was a nascent field. It was still pretty new, um, and that was kind of a way in. That was a niche to write about. Um, uh, and one of my early freelance um, uh, outlets was Entertainment Weekly, which had just begun. Mm-hmm. Um, Time Inc. magazine in 1990. Um, and I got hired on staff there pretty quickly and was there for 11 years as their video person, as their, I ended up doing just a, a lot of stuff uh, as their uh, obituary person because I, I I knew a lot of the people as they passed away. And mm-hmm. um, so if they needed a quick obituary, and I love writing those, um, I was the first person to notice by about 30 seconds, what, what's this internet thing? So that made me huh. the expert. Um, I hand coded the first uh, Entertainment Weekly uh, uh, web page. Um, wow. you know, so I did a bit of everything. And after 11 years of that, was ready to for a change. And the job at... Um, my old hometown paper, the Boston Globe, happened uh, the, for the film critic happened to open up in 2002. So I, I was lucky enough to get it. And I was there for 19 years. Wow. First with Wesley Morris, the great critic Wesley Morris, who's now at the New York Times. Uh-huh. Um, and then he went on and I was pretty much doing it on my own. And for a variety of reasons, which we can get into, um, after 19 years, I was ready for a change. So I started my, I uh, left the globe to start a Substack newsletter, Tiber's watch list and um, subscription. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 free, but there's a paid component and you get extra stuff. And I can talk about that as well. Yeah, yeah. But I'm basically, you know, what's nice for the first time. I, I own my own writing. Mm. When I wrote for Entertainment Weekly and I wrote for the Boston Globe, they owned what I wrote. Now I get to, and that and that's that sense of ownership is a nice thing. I have to say, it is a nice thing. And uh, well, I would say that's a fantastic voyage to, <laughs> to, to use the, the filmic metaphor. Um, uh, and it's great that, and you're so you're still evolving. So I think that you know you've had many transitions. And um, uh, so I, I know that you know. So doing well, first of all, tell tell the viewers who may not be able to, and listeners may not be able to know, be familiar with it. Tell them what, what Substack is, you know, how. Substack is a pl- publishing platform and an email publishing platform mm-hmm. um, and web um, that allows uh, anybody, uh, but it has attracted a number of journalists and um, cultural essayists like myself mm-hmm. um, to, uh, that allows you to write what you want and um, send it by email to anybody who subscribes and it still lives on in the web. So you, you know, click on the email and you'll go to the web archives and read all the other stuff that I've done in the past. Um, but it um, allows me, a, any writer, to kind of roam free and write about the things that they really want to um, yeah, yeah. with as few strictures as as 
as possible. And so you're really, you know, do you, can you make it interesting? Can you make it useful? Can you make it fun to read or informational? It's really down to what you're able to put out. And I've been lucky in that people have responded really, really well to the watch list and my subscriptions, you know, base is just grown very steadily. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's, so you've had experience over the years of, you know, you know, of a lot of transition and uh, freelancing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, um, an anxiety about, you know, free, in a sense, freelancing or taking ownership of your stuff, you know, you, you've sort of been through a lot of that emotionally experience, but even so, you know, it's, it is a little, yeah, the, the reward is that you own your stuff. But there's always this little bit of a risk that you feel like, well, I'm not affiliated with the Boston Globe or the New York Times or, you know, or, or some institution. Um, uh, so, it, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I, I like seeing this sort of stuff where you say, well, you know what? It's not now or never, but it's but now. <laughs> well, and, and to be honest, Ron, it's not something I could have done earlier in my career. I feel like at this point I've been doing it long enough. I've built up enough of a name, if not among readers, um, Certainly among editors, you know, I just, you know, I, I, my name's well enough known within the business that, um, that, uh, yeah, I can, I can do some freelance stuff, uh, right. as well as the, as well as the watch list, but, you know, it's not retirement, but I do feel like I can sort of lean on the work that I've done up to now in a way that I couldn't have done earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the work itself and also the knowledge, I mean, there, you know, I'm, I, I've had some guests in the shows who, who've been talking about, they the their novelists or their writers who, who you know from previous careers and they say freely like you know what what i'm doing now is is not something i could have done earlier i didn't know how to do that you know yeah. and and i'm sure it's, you, you knew how to be a critic before but your accumulated knowledge i think enables you to you know provide a certain you know texture and richness to your newsletter that you probably couldn't done as a younger man you just didn't have that accumulated knowledge or or more sensibility that's a, that's a a very good point. Um, and honestly, anybody writing criticism is not just writing about the thing they're criticizing. You know, I'm a film critic, but I'm not just writing about films. I'm writing about life as seen through films, as reflected through films, um, and my experience of uh, of them. Um, and it's true, the watch list allows me to. You know, I've I've posted some things that are very personal. Um, yeah. Um, or responses to cultural or political uh, events in ways that I, I didn't wouldn't have been able to or didn't feel comfortable when I was at a, an institution like the Globe or Entertainment Weekly. Yeah, yeah give us a give us just a sense, high of, uh, on a week, high on a weekly basis of um, uh, well, the kind of stuff you, you you look at on a weekly basis. You know, so so this week, what what are some of the things you looked at? Well, it's the end of the year, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that. Um, all these sort of serious awards worthy uh, uh wannabe awards worthy movies are coming out and it's also the, the you know this is the week that i'm putting together my best of the year list, uh-huh. which is going to come out next monday um so i'm catching up on a lot of stuff i'm doing a lot of screening yesterday actually was the meeting of one of the two professional organizations i'm a member of the boston society of film critics okay um, they meet they meet in um, in early december um, the other group, the National Society of Film Critics, meets in early January, and we give out our awards. So I'm actually writing up sort of what we what we voted on yesterday. Uh, traditionally, though, I reserve Friday for new movies that are coming out either on streaming okay. or um, in theaters. Um, 
And just to highlight, you know, okay, this is on Amazon. This is on Netflix. This is in theaters. Uh, is it good? Uh, you know, the nice thing about doing the watch list is I no longer have to pay attention to the movies, the kind of movies that I'm not really all that interested in. For instance, there are enough superhero movies. Um, I like the good ones and there are mm-hmm. some good ones, but enough already. I don't feel, I don't feel like I have to cover all of that. Um, right. And kids animation. Yeah. I'll cover a, a Pixar movie, but the, the sort of rote product, I don't need to pay attention to the idea is that I'm bringing stuff to the reader's attention. That's going to be good or it's mm-hmm. going to be worth their attention. Right. Um, right. Right. And earlier in the week, I can whatever is coming up in in the in the culture. Um, sometimes I'll dig back into the past if I'll look and see what's what's airing um, or available on some of the streaming uh, channels. And it could be an older movie, could be a really older movie, could be a TV show. Um, and again, sometimes I'll just respond to what's going on in the culture. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, one of the things that's happened is the diversification of both platforms and yeah. and and media. It, it's it's a little bit daunting sometimes. Um, uh, personally, uh, when I when I watch baseball games I'm, uh, or football games, I'm I'm not used to going to Amazon Prime, you know, right. once a week, you know. So it, it it gets a little confusing. I mean, how, how do you deal with this? You know, kind of. Uh, I'm I'm sure it's something that you, that some of your readers might you know also say. Well, how the hell do I you know sort out all these services? Right. Um, that is actually one of the precise reasons I started the watch list. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two real reasons. One is that I felt like traditional media, newspapers, magazines, were not covering movies the way people watch them anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the review comes out when it's in theaters. The majority of people don't see it until three months later when it's on demand. And there's nothing, you know, you have to go to Rotten Tomatoes or wherever, but most people don't know what's there. And the other part of the equation is that, yeah, you have Netflix, you probably have Amazon Prime. Um, you probably, you may have HBO Max, you may have, you know, Hulu, we've got all these services. We have no idea what's on them aside from whatever they're promoting in the top tier. Um, and there's no guide. There's nobody to help. So really the watch list was conceived as a, as a channel through which to t- help you find the good stuff that's out there. And yes, there are too many subscription services and yes, some of them are better than others. Um, and I do um, directly talk about uh, not just the movies, but about the services. Um, and I had a column uh, last month about how to turn them on and off, how to toggle, because you forget mm. how many you subscribe to, you know, and, you, and you're just getting, you know, five ninety nine a month. You don't remember you're paying that. But so I wrote a, a column where I went through all the major services and said, here's the link that will take you to where you can pause your subscription or turn it off and then turn it on later. If you want to just watch a series, you know, watch, eight episodes of the series and then turn off the subscription. Um, We don't do that enough. The subscription services and the corporations that own them rely on the fact that we forget how many we subscribe to. And we just let it, you know, go ka-ching, ka-ching month after month. Yeah. Well, I would say that that guide, Ty, is is worth the price of your subscription in (laughs) itself. (laughs) Because it's really, it's, it can be maddening. Yeah. yeah, We're, we're, you know, and, and we're trying to figure that my family ourselves you know between our my wife and i and my, my sons and you know it's just like dizzying but uh right. and it's amazing you know if you think about the degree of change though over the course of our lifetime yeah i mean i remember quite vividly when i was growing up so a little bit you know uh, the late mid late 60s um one one movie theater in town mm-hmm. <laughs> 
and and uh, and I remember <laughs> it played the sound of music for three months. <laughs> <laughs> so we saw it like three or four times. Oh, it's like, yeah, yeah. So so I, I you know yes, it, it may be a dizzying um, profusion of choices, but I'll prefer this. You know, it's a lot more to work with. Um, yeah, but it is work, and you do have to like figure out what it's it's so overwhelming and i actually think this is one reason that people are more comfortable watching series now than individual movies it's that you're not every night you're making a choice and having to dig around to find something to watch oh you know yeah fine i'm gonna watch the next episode of uh, white lotus or you know severance or um yellowstone or whatever you know it's there right um, right and, uh and and, and uh, you know ironically the two-hour film is becoming a sort of almost an endangered species, I think, and just in the ways we consume it on a regular basis. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, Because certainly, you know, when we go on the streaming services or HBO, it's like, hmm, you know, do I want to watch something for two hours? You know, it's, it's, it's also a different, you know, lifestyle, you know, choices. Yeah. So, um, so listen, there's a lot more to talk about, um, but uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we'll be talking uh, much more folks with Ty Burr, who writes the Substack newsletter, Ty Burr's Watchlist. So don't go away. We have lots more to talk about. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking today with Ty Burr, a longtime film critic and cultural columnist who writes the newsletter Ty Burr's Watchlist. Now, before we continue, I wanted to just uh, uh, tell our listeners uh, how they can sign up for your newsletter, Ty. There we go. Let's try that again. Um, if you sit down on your browser and you type in Tiber's watch list, that's one word, T-Y-B-U-R-R-S-W-A-T-C-H-L-I-S-T dot substack dot com, you will go to uh, the homepage from the newsletter. You can read some samples free of charge and decide whether you want to sign up free of charge or if you'd like to um 
pay for the monthly or annual subscription. As I say, you get the ability to comment and there's some wonderful conversations going on uh, among my uh, paying subscribers as well as get, um, you know, access to podcasts, uh, webinars I'm doing on movies, other things like that. That's great. Great. Thanks for that. So, so before the break, we were talking about um, the fact that uh, other, there are a few of these standalone movies these days, and, and there's a tendency toward people to even prefer, you know, a lot of these um, series. Um, yes. And um, I mean, one of the things I've noticed uh, actually since, uh, you know, the advent of Netflix, which, you know, was, a you know, I guess in itself was an interesting transition from getting these DVDs in the mail every day to going online, uh, Absolutely. streaming service, a bit of a risk. So it, it did well, but now it starts to fluctuate. And, and one of the things that people I've heard people say is like, what, what happened to all the movies? <laughs> they don't have any good movies anymore. So what, what's happening in terms of just the, 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 the offerings between, you know, um, you know, Netflix and Amazon prime and, and all these other Hulu and so forth. Um, it, it, you know, every, diff, every service makes different, um, arrangements with, mm-hmm. uh, film, you know, libraries essentially, um, and, uh, distributors. And the dirty little secret about Netflix is that it's actually the worst service for movies. Hmm. Um, you know, it's a, a company that started out delivering movies to your mailbox, you know, DVD, physical media, and then got into streaming early and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and now they're, now they're the brand leader. They're like the Kleenex of streaming services, <laughs> you know, they're, they're the brand name. Um, but I actually sat down early in the watch list and went through every single movie on the service. Um, many of which are not in English. They're actually aimed at um, various different uh, nationalities. Um, mm-hmm. And again, this is not the, the the sort of artistic work. This is sort of the the meat and potatoes, comedies, romances, things like that. So they're they're serving those international communities um, very very well. But Hollywood movies, as we understand them, um, as we know them, as as you know, well known movies, they're very very few. They have no classics. Um, and when I say classics, you know, perilous few, even going back to the '90s or '80s. Most of the films they have on there are from. 2000 on um and they're just it's not curated it's the least curated major platform they just throw stuff on there willy-nilly and most of it is b-level c-level product Hmm. um i wrote a uh a watch list um post early on that was like here's the 97 good movies on netflix um Hmm. And I went through, you know, literally went through the entire list. And these are ones that like are worth your time. Um, and that list may have changed since then because, you know, rights come in and out, movie rights to movies come in and out, but probably hasn't changed much. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Amazon at least allows you, you know, has a huge, huge uh, library that you can rent for various mm-hmm. prices, $1.99, $2.99. Um, and uh, Apple's iTunes um, has the same basically a uh, you know, library. So that's right. a different model where you can rent them. Um, but in terms of free streaming, uh, Netflix is, is the worst for movies. Mm. Um, you know, and they put their eggs in the basket also of series, TV mm-hmm. series, the ones, original ones, right. um, foreign ones like, um, you know, Squid Game and uh, Money Heist. Um, so right. that's, that's where their energies go, but not into movies. Yeah. Well, back to movies. So, so the traditional movies that, you know, that come out and we sort of anticipate, and th- mm-hmm. well, used to in the theaters anyway. Yep. Um, but so what's happened there too? I mean, it does seem that, you know, that you see the movies come out. It's like, okay, another sequel, 
another comic book movie, another, you know, reboot of something. What's going on? Are people just, it seems to be almost um, a little bit parallel to the publishing industry where they're just no risk, little risk, go after, you know, known quantities, you know, just like you go after big authors, no risk on new authors and so forth. Is that what's happening? Are they just, you know, risk averse? Um, that's exactly what's happening on one level of the film business, okay. uh, and that is the studio mainstream multiplex channel. It's useful to think of the film industry now as really two separate channels, mm. um, one of which is a pipeline from the major studios to the uh, and their distribution arms to the multiplexes, you know, the Google plexes. And those are movies that are, yeah, they're what I call inter- intellectual property, IP movies. They're based mm-hmm. on comic books. They're based on, you know, um, sequels, uh, you know, Fast and Furious, Harry Potter, um, Star Wars, Star Trek, anything that people already know. Um, they're generally heavy on special on digital effects, mm-hmm. um, which plays into why are there so few movie stars anymore. Um, but mm-hmm. we can talk about that in a bit. Yeah. Um, so and on that level, yeah, there's no new ideas. They don't they have learned that audiences don't want new ideas. They want to be fed something that they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we used to call movies, romances, comedies, dramas, suspense, thrillers, um, musicals. Mm-hmm. Those uh, are increasingly or less and less coming out in theaters. They are, um, and the, the other pipeline is independent uh, um, film companies like Neon, Sony Pictures Classics, A24, and those are the ones that are doing what we now think of as art house movies. And they will play in indie, independent theaters. And if you're lucky, you live near a theater that will program these more adventurous movies. They tend mm-hmm. to get nominated for awards because they are not ip cookie cutter movies um and increasingly they are also being made um to just show up on streaming uh so netflix has gotten into the business of that amazon's gotten into the business of that hulu's Mm -hmm. gotten into the business of that and they will make these movies they're not necessarily big budget um and they will will or may not release them into theaters before bringing them onto the service Mm -hmm. so case in point is um did you see Knives Out a couple of years ago? The, the you know, the, yes. the murder mystery, delightful right. murder mystery comedy. Well, right. there's a new a sequel coming out called Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Same director, Ryan Johnson. Um, Daniel Craig is back as as uh, the detective. Another right. you know, big cast of Hollywood players having a good time. It is bankrolled by Netflix. It appeared for theaters in one week only last month, and then they pulled it, and it's going to be coming out on Netflix in a couple of weeks. Wow. That's a new model and not one that I necessarily think I like because that's a movie that you want to see as part of a crowd. Right. It's it's funny. Um, Another example is um, a movie called Confess Fletch. Did you see it with John Hamm? Do you know about it? No, I don't. No. Okay. So remember the Fletch movies with Chevy Chase? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Which were based on a series of detective novels. um, The author whose name escapes me at the moment, but they made a new one with John Hamm. In the, in the role of Fletch. And it I it, forget the distributor off the top of my head, but it was released in theaters with no marketing uh, at all. It's just dumped in theaters, but at the same time put on video on demand. Everybody I know who's come across it on video on demand says, it's a great movie. I mean, hmm. it's not a great movie, but it's a good movie. It's funny. It's well-crafted. Uh, people are delighted to find it. Why wasn't this thing given a theatrical push? I guess because they didn't think there was money in it. And part of the issue is that all these streaming platforms are owned 
by many of them are owned by a studio or um, a wannabe studio. And they have to make the decision, well, am I going to make more money on this thing in theaters or am I going to make more money shoring up subscribers, using it to draw in subscribers? Right. You know, um, that's how they make their money on the streaming platforms. Yeah. yeah. So we're seeing a business in flux. Yeah. Um, I do want to get to the uh, what you mentioned earlier about, you know, uh, are there any, you know, old time, you know, big stars, you know, anymore. Mm. But before we get into that, I just want to pick up, though, on what you were just saying is about releases into theaters, because I think this is really an issue um, uh, of going out. Like what, you know, I think from an audience perspective, people are making decisions about, is this worth going out to a theater to see? Right. Um, so I think it's it's become unfortunately a somewhat of a cost issue, a convenience issue. Uh, certainly, as you said, I think the people make decisions on okay, this is something I really do want to see with an audience. Okay. Um, however, <laughs> sometimes I'll go to the theater, my local theater here, and I'll and, and they've upgraded the theater. You know, it's much better. You know, you're not you know your feet aren't sticking to the floor from <laughs> spilled you know, soda. Um, but it's like, okay, now it's, you know, we got all this, you know, and, and there are like 10 people in the theater. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's, it's become a different kind of experience and one that people are, you know, it used to be, you know, not really a thought, yeah, we're going to go out and see this. We're going to go out Friday night and see this. But now it, it seems to be that people really, I guess also one of the, the other considerations is, you know, the, um, you know, there used to be this thing, well, I want to see it on a big screen, but the screen in your TV room is pretty big. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and often the projection quality in your local theater is not what it should be. Right. Um, but you've touched on an interesting point, which is, yeah, you do want to, we, we, we're we hardwired to want to see a movie as part of a crowd. Right. I think to me, that goes back to the cavemen around the campfire, you know, <laughs> right. seriously. We And there's nothing like being in a movie theater where the whole joint is rocking to the same movie. You know what I mean? It's greater than the sum of its parts. Um and, you know, unfortunately, some of these, some movies you'll go to and there'll be 10 people there. And that's not enough to sort of jumpstart the experience, right. which is one reason that the studios are relying more and more on trying to knock your socks off with digital effects. Um, so there's a reason that the top moneymaker of the year so far was Top Gun Maverick. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, very well-made blockbuster to me. It's like almost like the platonic ideal of a blockbuster. Um and a, a great movie to see in a theater because it both it's both hits the, the nostalgia button, um, right. and but it's also very propulsive. Very, it does everything that you know a, a, a one of those movies wants wants to do, um, and it's not going to work the same at the on the home screen. The other one that I think that's coming up, I just saw it last week. It's not coming out for a while. Is the new Avatar movie, mm -hmm. um, and that really is a movie that is going to bring people in the theaters because you will not be able to experience it the same way. I mean, it's immersive. You've got the glasses and everything, but it's James Cameron bringing a very, very high level of craft. Um, so those experiences do exist, but they're more and more reliant on digital effects and and creating, you know, worlds to escape into, but that don't necessarily reflect the real world that we're in. Right, right. Yeah, I think that there, I think that even with those, um, offerings uh they're not enough i think for the big movie theaters in, in, a, in a traditional sense i think one way or the other they're gonna they're gonna have to reimagine themselves you know in the same way that you know i mean people don't go to the libraries anymore but they are coming back in a different form a lot of older people coming back the seniors are becoming like community centers i think that the theaters are gonna have to think about that i mean 
how are they going to rethink them, of themselves? Well, what gives me hope is that um, there are movies that play to a younger crowd. And again, they're not necessarily in the multiplex there. If mm. Again, if you're lucky to be living near, you know, a, a so for instance, I live in the greater Boston area and there's a bunch of uh, local houses, uh, the Coolidge Corners, actually the theater I grew up going to as a kid. Um, and now it's a, you know, the, one of the best art houses in, in the area. They showed a movie called, that came out earlier this year called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Have you oh, heard of this movie? I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that is attracting an audience of people under 30, under 35 that have seen it multiple times. Mm. And I've seen it twice, both times in a hugely crowded theater where, again, I get that experience where you're just picked up and taken to someplace absolutely special as part of a crowd. Right. Uh, and that movie is, it's it's gonna it's gonna surprise some people. It's gonna get nominated for some Oscars that people will be surprised. Like, where did this movie come from? Well, it's been in theaters all year. It came <laughs> out in like April, um, and it's been playing all year. And you know, go ahead and ask somebody, ask a twenty five year old if they know that movie. They'll be like, yeah, I've seen it five times. Wow. Um, so it the stuff is out there, but it's not being sold to a, a mass audience it's being marketed to separate audiences everything's broken down by demographic and that i think is an issue well that's interesting i, I then hadn't thought of it that way yeah um going back to a point we were talking about or, uh, earlier so the movies have changed too but part of that is about let's talk about you know the the old you know star system and mm. to what extent that's uh fallen away i mean I, obviously there are movie stars um, they don't seem to be quite as iconic as previously, but there are a lot more of them. And in some ways, for me, more interesting. Who do you like? Well, I like I like some of the, the class. I like Denzel Washington as a star. Mm. Um, um, let's see. I'll think of some others in a minute. He's, 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 he's amazing. He's one of the few reliable stars that can open a movie. And really, and as far as the film industry is concerned, a movie star is somebody who can open a movie that mm -hmm. people will go to see to see that person in a movie. And there are very few, even Tom Cruise, they won't go to see him in anything. They will go see him as, as Maverick, mm -hmm. but you know, mm -hmm. they won't see him in some of the other stuff he's been in. Denzel Washington gets people to show up for movies time right. after time. Right. Um, but your point that there, you know, there isn't that cosmos of glamorous figures that we grew up with thinking of as movie stars for a variety of reasons. One of which is the movies, the movies are selling us intellectual property. They're not selling us Chris Evans. They're selling us Captain America. Mm -hmm. You know, right. They're not selling us um, Chris Hemsworth. They're selling us Thor uh, and they're selling us the, ex the ride, the experience. Um, but it, I also think that we, it used to be, even when we were growing up as, you know, TV baby boomers, movie stars were a special breed and there were TV stars, but they were a lesser uh, organism. organism. Um, now they're TV stars, movie stars, music stars, internet stars, uh, you know, TikTok stars, right. sports right. stars, political stars. Um, they're just, every little cosmos has its own, every little niche has its own sort of cosmology of stars. And I will also point out, so I teach college classes. I teach, mm -hmm. teach actually a class about the history of stardom. So I'm it's a oh. subject I know very well, and I've written a book about it. Um, and I ask my students, who do you think of as a movie star? And they will say Leonardo DiCaprio to them. Absolutely. To them, he's like an old school movie star. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. He's their parents' movie star, which makes me feel <laughs> old. But, there you go. but they'll also say, oh, yeah, Timothy Chalamet. He's a huge star. Uh -huh. Zendaya. Yeah. Huge star. 
Um, Beyonce is the, like the queen of the, the the universe as far as they're concerned. Um, well, will Timothy Chalamet last? It remains to be seen. But right. as far as they're concerned, he's absolutely a movie star. So they exist, but we, again, it's bifurcated by demographics. So we don't see that. Um, and honestly, you know, means we should open our eyes a little more, I think. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I the, so then all the folks who just mentioned, I, I'm aware of them. But if you, when you sort of said, who do you think is a star? I, they wouldn't have occurred to me. But mm-hmm. now that you tell them, like, yeah, I've, I've seen films with them in there. They're they're good actors. I, I do enjoy watching. Yeah. And, and not only the good actors, but they've got that charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and Timothy Chalamet creates riots at film festivals. So, you know, he's still pushing <laughs> that button. Right. Yeah. And one of the things about, you know, uh, uh, going on to all these streaming services, um, uh, particularly for uh, for my wife and me, uh, Amazon Prime, we've seen some stuff in, in recent months, is the exposure to, you know, films or, or series internationally mm-hmm. um where you get these um actors where like you're like well, i've never heard of this person but they're really good yeah. <laughs> you know? and 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 not the stereotypical like gorgeous you know iconic uh, good looks you know it's almost you know uh a relief to say wow this i don't you know i'm not blown away with their looks i'm they're really acting and i'm really enjoying this show right. so right, right, right. so we're going to take a quick break we have lots more to talk about but we have to take another break, so uh, don't go away, folks. We'll be talking much more with Ty Burr, uh, who writes the Substack newsletter, Ty Burr's Watchlist. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. 
To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Okay, welcome back to 45 Forward. We're talking with Ty Burr, a longtime film critic and cultural columnist who now writes the newsletter Ty Burr's Watchlist. Um, uh, during the break, uh, Ty and I were talking about the fact that um, these days, whenever you get together with friends or family, you know, uh, for dinner, uh, just about as you hit dessert, you know, people start saying, well, what are you watching these days? And uh, so I'm going to ask that to you, Ty. What, what, what should we be watching these days? What should we look out for? What do you think? What is some of the best stuff you've seen, whether they're movies or series or so forth? And, and give us a little forecast of what you think is uh, um, because I'm fo- primarily focused on movies, but because mm-hmm. I'm a normal, uh, you know, middle-aged American, uh, you know, and my, my wife and I like to watch series as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're always, like you say, you, you know, you say, what are you watching? And then everybody brings out their lists and start adding things. Um, but it's funny, we have not watched Yellowstone yet. Uh, so we're apparently the last people in America that hasn't watched <laughs> Yellowstone. Um, and Second to last. <laughs> I've, I've been told I can start with the, the new the new season. I don't have to go back to the beginning, but I, I'm looking forward to that. Um, we're finishing up the White Lotus. Uh, we're watching um, uh, Fleischman is in Trouble, a delightful series. Um, mm. And um, earlier in the year, we were watching Severance. Uh, I guess that might even been last year, which was t- a terrific show. The Bear was something we watched earlier in the year, which we really, really loved a lot. A a a, a series about a chef at a um, a little greasy spoon in in uh, Chicago who's trying to turn it into something else. Mm. Um, but I am also, you know, paying attention to uh, what's going on in movies. Um, and, um, you know, some of the things that I, it, as I said, this is the time of year when I'm looking at um, trying to catch up with all the things that I, I haven't seen or re-looking at, at things, um, some of which are in theaters, some of which are, um, you know, are coming straight on to demand. Um, I'm just, and I'm looking at the, the list of what I've, I've been seeing lately. Okay. Um, this is the kind of question. This is what happens to a film critic all the time when you go out and people say, so what should I see? And your mind immediately goes blank of everything you see. <laughs> right. Right. It's just so much you're seeing. It's just, um, yeah. yeah. Um, there's um, a, a couple of good things on Netflix and Amazon. Um, there's uh, The Swimmers on Netflix, which is a lovely little movie based on a true story about um, these sisters, these two sisters that escaped from the war in Syria um, to uh, to become Olympic swimmers um, mm. and join the refugee uh, Olympic team. Um, and uh, I, again, and, and the two of them are played by two actresses who are sisters. Uh, and that's so that's uh-huh. on Netflix. That's there again. You know, they promoted it when it first came out a couple like a month or two ago now now it's disappeared from the menu so wow. i would search that out um there is uh on amazon there's a really terrific documentary called uh good night oppie uh oh, about yeah. the mars the mars rover program which sounds like oh it's going to be a documentary about you know science um or it sounds like something i could see at my you know local museum it actually it's it's a movie that made me verklempt about a robot. It's really <laughs> and and it follows the whole Mars rover program, and you really get to know the scientists who worked on it as people. 
Mm -hmm. um, and see the emotion they invested in this project and in these robots that they think of in human terms. And it really is about how we anthropomorphize the work that we do. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's really quite a quite a a moving film. Um, I do I mean, like the fact that you 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 do look at documentaries too, because that's something oh, yeah. that actually early in my and actually in graduate school I was uh, I looked at a lot of documentaries and they really they you know they uh, a lot of them take a lot of work and a lot of creativity to put them together. There's you know right. I think people have this image of like you just you know put the camera out there and, and oh. <laughs> take pictures, you know. Um, where, but a lot of them, I think, are, are quite good, and I'm glad that you cover them in your newsletter. I, you know, I will say that uh, you know every year I go to a couple of film festivals. I go to Sundance in the in January, and I go to the Toronto Film Festival in September. And I always, you know, they're always big premieres, fictional movies with big stars, and those are the ones you're sort of drawn to. And then I always check out some of the documentaries, and I'm always more entertained and more impressed by the documentaries than the fictional films, almost without question. Hmm. Um, there's and, and, and again, Amazon and Netflix and other people, people are bankrolling some of these films. Um, so uh, and, and they're there. And I, I really urge people to see them. You know, I'm thinking uh, there's two good ones that um, Apple TV had on earlier this year. One was is called Sydney. It's a, a bio doc about Sydney Poitier. Mm -hmm. um, that is just tremendously moving. Um, and the other one they have is um, Louis Armstrong's uh, Black and Blues. Uh, again, a bio doc about Louis Armstrong that, you know, you should sit down with anybody who doesn't know about this guy because you just learn about one of the most protean figures of the 20th century. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, th so those are a very particular kind of documentary, but there are other ones about what's going on now. One of my favorite films of the year is probably going to be on my 10 best list is a movie called Descendant that's on um, Netflix mm -hmm. uh, about a small community in, um, uh, South Carolina, I think I'm blanking on the state, but it is the site of the last slave ship um, mm. that made it to America really in the 1800s. Right. Um, and the descendants of that ship who are still alive and trying to find the remains of the ship, uh, which happens during the course of the documentary, um, says so much about this country in really, really mind opening ways. Yeah. I wonder if, if there's uh, enough of a market, I don't know, for this kind of a niche, you know, like a, a best docs channel, <laughs> you know, like we have a history channel or something. I mean, it just seems like because there, there's a lot of compelling stuff. It may not be enough to sustain that kind of audience, but I think a lot of people are interested in. Well, National Geographic just finished a merger with with Warner Brothers um, and no, excuse me, Discovery. Discovery did. Um, and. Uh, you know, who knows that may affect what's on HBO Max because that's mm. now the parent company. Um, there is a lot of good stuff out there. You, and it's partly it's my job to tell you that it's there and to mm -hmm. point toward it and toward people like me to help make sense of all the Michigas that's out there. Right, right. Um, so where do you think this Michigas is headed, time? <laughs> <laughs> I think there will be more confusion before there's less confusion. Uh -huh, okay. I feel like, um, any industry goes through periods of consolidation um, and expansion and flux. Mm -hmm. um, and remember, you know, when we were growing up, there were three TV channels and that was it. Correct. You know, and then cable comes along and then there's 57 channels and nothing on. And now there's cable and streaming platforms and there's way too much content. There's way too much stuff to watch. And everybody's got us, every company's, you know, corporation's got a stake in it. Um, and there will be a shakeout. There's, there's only so much that people can watch. And right. still live a life, and there will be a shakeout. Um, 
and <laughs> Disney will probably end up owning everything. Um, <laughs> oh, they're, they're well on the way. But I do think that there's going to be, there has to be a more manageable way of dealing with all of this content. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how that's going to happen. Uh, but, I, but I also see um, sort of third party things popping up helping people navigate this, including the watch list, but also mm-hmm. a website called justwatch.com. Do you know that site? I've heard of that site. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great. You just go in and you plug in anything you want to watch and it tells you what streaming platform it's on. There's no other thing that does that. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. that's the simplest thing in the world. Yeah. Okay. It's on Hulu. Great. I can go sign up for that for a month or whatever. Um, but that's where it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nobody, I, I keep thinking about that, uh, that William Goldman line, you know, nobody knows anything, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, uh, I think we, we just don't know. There are things we just can't see. I mean, nobody yeah. really saw the internet in terms of what it became. Oh God, no. Um, I, I do remember quite vividly in the early seventies um, out here in Long Island, uh, there was cable vision originally the, the yep. founder, Charles Dolan. You know, he Dolan. Was, yeah. yeah he, he was the one who created HBO as you well that's know. Right. And uh, people thought like, well, that's not, that's going to, we'll spin that off. But, you know, I, I guess when he had to divest because he, he went, you know, he ran out of money, but he spun off, you know, HBO because no one knew what it, what it would become, you know? Yeah. So they're just things we don't know. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I think I've uh, heard you uh, talk about, which seems, you know, an interesting wrinkle is, is, you know, so we, we lost, you know, the DVDs we got from Netflix in the mail, you know, yeah. so they disappeared and, and and you've actually mentioned the possibility. Well, something like that might come back because, you know, as a as a consumer, we've kind of lost that potential for you know being able to watch anything anytime because you know the companies come in and they actually control their intellectual property. Right. But do you think that's a possibility that that sort of service could come back and maybe in a, in a smaller way, but in well, well, Netflix still exists as a DVD delivery service. You can still do that service. Hmm. Um, it it hasn't gone away. It, it, um, and I am a big proponent of, of owning physical media. Um, mm. and I, I always tell people, well, you know, you don't have to own everything, but if you've got like, you know, a handful of movies or shows that you love, um, buy them, get them on, get them on a disc. Um, mm-hmm. because yeah, they will, they will go away. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're sold this idea that everything is out there. Everything's available. Well, it's not. It comes and goes, um, and sometimes it, you know, HBO Max prior to their uh, you know merger with Discovery is all of a sudden taking all of their their old Sesame Street uh, episodes off that they mm-hmm. had and other stuff. It goes right. away. Um, and remember when we used to own the art we consumed, you know, right. the media we consumed, and remember the days. And this is why, again, I think this is a hardwired. Uh, human uh, urge. You want to touch the things you love. And it's why my daughter's generation, and I've got two kids, 25 and 27, and mm-hmm. all of their all of their peers own a, own a record player, own, own a phonogram. Many of them own, uh, mm. you know, a, a turntable. Wow. And, they'd, and they'll buy vinyl, and they may not have a lot of vinyl, but they'll have like 10 vinyl albums. Um, and they treasure that experience. It's retro for them. It's nostalgic, but it also, I think they understand there's value in having something that you can touch. Um, and I think they appreciate the, the, the packaging. You remember the, the gatefold, uh, you know, all yeah. that information and an album, um, it's like owning a book. Um, so I do think, I don't think you should throw out your DVD player. 
or you know get a get a, a blu-ray player and and hold on to, to to those things that you love because we've made this bargain where we've given them away to the content owners and now they just read it to us over and over and over again eh, i don't like that very good point. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, the diversification has given us lots of options, but I think, you know, holding on to some of these things is a really good idea. Yeah. Um, anything that you're holding on to? <laughs> uh, well, you see my books. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I've got vinyl records over there and a lot of CDs that I never listened to, but no, I'm not giving them away. Um, right. You know, I think when we get to be our age and I am... Uh, I'm Medicare ready this year. Right. Um, I, I'm holding on to that stuff um, mm -hmm. because it it defines my life. You know, the albums you buy, the books you buy, the, uh, you know, I mean, we're a, a consumer culture, a cargo culture. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could pull some of those albums. I still have my, I'm looking at it right now. So my copy of the Beatles White Album that I got when I was 11. Wow. Um, and and which I cut out that little you know, the paper insert that came with all the, the photos. And I cut them out and pasted them onto the white album and had a little dino tape, uh, you know, with the names of the songs. And to me, that's a talisman. That is, yeah. that takes me back to my youth. I'm not giving that away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, on that note, uh, I, I, we uh, have coming to the end of our show, Ty, it's been a real pleasure. Um, I just want to thank you for a terrific show. Uh, we'll leave it there for today, but we'll, uh, We'll come back to you at some point to catch up uh, next year on that next year's show. I didn't yeah, know that. yeah. So once again, folks, uh, tell your friends if they missed my conversation with Ty, Ty today. Uh, you can listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com. Just search for my show, 45 Forward, um, or listen to it on Apple, Google Podcasts. Um, and and uh, be sure to join me next Monday, uh, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, when I'll be talking with Roberta Rosenberg and Bruce Frankel, two experts who will be talking about how to get out socializing, dining out, traveling as we resume our post-pandemic holiday season to make the most of our new experiences, especially if you're an older traveler. So until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program.